This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the 38th episode of Sound the Foghorn. As always, I am your host, Mark DeLuke, co-site expert over at Around the Foghorn fan site's official or flagship SF Giants site. Of course, the San Francisco Giants dropped the past two games against the San Diego Padres, dropping their first series in a long while after ripping off a nine-game winning streak. However, Still in first place in the NL West, but the race is only getting tighter. Of course, the Los Angeles Dodgers have been on their heels all season. Now they're just one game back. You know, story of the Giants season, again, you know, part of the reason I come in and out of the podcast has been, you know, some scheduling stuff, but also, you know, it's really hard to find new angles to talk about this Giants team. And I don't want to just waste your time, you know, doing two, three episodes a week when, you know, there's not too much new to discuss. You know, you guys know how good this team is at this point in the season. At least I hope you do. And you guys also know the flaws. You know that coming into the year, there were questions about the starting pitching. There were questions about the aging veterans and early in the seasons, both of those things. And to this point, both of those things have, they've proven them wrong, right? Those, the older players, the Brandon Crawfords, the Brandon Belts, the Evan Longorias, the Buster Poseys have had fantastic years. Some of them, the best seasons of their careers while being in their mid thirties. Of course, Kevin Gaussman bouncing back with an even better season than his breakout 2020 to Anthony DiSclefani, a breakout season of his own. Alex Wood, a rebound season where even though he's been injured, he's thrown 125 innings and might be able to make a return. And if it wasn't for COVID, he might be hitting 150 innings. Logan Webb, the young, it's no longer a prospect, but the young pitchers had his breakout. The Giants bullpen, Jake McGee, Tyler Rogers, Harleen Garcia, Jose Alvarez, Zach Littell, Dominique Leone, you know, Caleb Berger, Jay Jackson, Sammy, I mean, all these guys, Tony Watson, who they acquired at the deadline. Have stepped up. But, you know, as the season wore on, it doesn't mean that those questions don't still remain. Now, you know, not to the same extent, obviously, with what we've seen from Belt or Posey and Crawford or Longo or, or the list of guys I've just talked about, you know, that doesn't mean that they've clearly proven that they are better than almost everyone expected them to be. With that said, we don't know, you know, what regression looks like. Is this the new mean? Is this the new average and expectation for these players? You know, whether it's the starting rotation, the bullpen, or the starters. Or is this a group of players who are outperforming a bit, who will regress? And while that should easily be enough to be in the postseason, they still probably would be a relative postseason favorite. The fact is they are in the most difficult division in baseball. They are in the National League West. With the two teams, teams, you know, the league expected to be two of the best in the league. The Los Angeles Dodgers have lived up to that billing if it weren't for the Giants, and the Padres, San Diego Padres, have not. However, 
Padres are also 75 and 70, even after one of truly the worst months of baseball I've seen from like a contending team with talent, just a series of injuries. They had some COVID cases and also just bad performance on the field. And so, you know, that lack of depth, well, let me correct that. It's not the lack of depth. The Giants have shown themselves to be deep. It's the lack of track record. Even players like Posey and Crawford, who have these fantastic careers, I think Posey, um, I think Tim Kawakami wrote an article in The Athletic, don't hold me to it if it's not him, but I believe it was, who wrote about this was the year Posey pushed his Hall of Fame candidacy. He sealed his ticket to Cooperstown. I, I actually agree with that. I thought he was someone who felt like had a very compelling case, even though his counting stats weren't super high. And after this year, I think it's unequivocally, undoubtedly true that he has a future with him getting a plaque in Cooperstown. With that said, his track record of once again being an elite big league catcher, you know, isn't very long, right? The last, you have to go all the way back to 2017 to really find that, you know? Um, So we're talking about a a three-year span where this is, you know, the player you expect him to be is not what we've seen in 2021. Now, again, this is going to be a bit repetitive here at the start, and we'll get into the Giants' schedule. But again, this is something I'm going to probably hash out almost all of these episodes because it is important to keep context. You know, when you look at the Dodgers lineup, whether it's Will Smith or Max Muncy or Corey Seager or Justin Turner or even some or Mookie Betts, even slumping players, you know, like Cody Bellinger, um, I should also mention Chris Taylor in that mix. These players have been good for multiple seasons and the most recent seasons. You know, Walker Bueller, right? Uh, You know, these are players who you have a track record that you feel much more confident believing in. And that's why the Giants have spent all season feeling like they're the best team in baseball because they've been playing like the best team in baseball. They've been winning like the best team in baseball. They still have the best record in Major League Baseball. But that doesn't change the fact That when you hear the names you hear who are leading the Giants' charge, the fact remains the same. That there's no one's name, there's no one you're going to hear, and you're going to go, absolutely, I've come to expect this player to be great. There's an argument that Darren Ruff has been the best player, best hitter on the Giants this season. Definitely over the last few months. You know, Darren Ruff's had an amazing career resurgence. But, you know, he's also 34 years old and basically in his second well above or second above average or better big league season. And again, this is a testament to the work Farhan Zaidi has done in acquiring players, to the work the coaching staff have done in helping these players have career years. Again, this is not a criticism of this team. This is the greatest compliment I can give to them is that at every point, they have beaten expectations. And the question remains, how long can they continue to exceed these expectations? If they were in a different division, maybe, especially if they were in the the NL East, right? They're in the AL Central. It wouldn't matter. The Giants would have clinched the division, honestly, potentially already, and if not already, they'd ostensibly have clinched it with probably a very low magic number. They could rest their starters. They could, you know, work in, you know, they could, these bullpen games wouldn't be a big deal. They could even call up maybe some more risky, maybe they make a move to get like a prospect like Sean Jelly on the roster just to eat some innings. They can rest their guys. 
and they could, you know, coast into the postseason. But they don't have that luxury because of the Dodgers. You know, they just had a nine-game winning streak. Because they lost their last two games, their lead's down to a game in the National League West. And now, another first-place team in Atlanta is coming into Oracle Park tomorrow to start a three-game set. This is, um, you know, where the Giants are at right now. This is, you know, high-stakes baseball, high-stakes September baseball. And remember, while the Giants technically have a quote-unquote tiebreaker, that doesn't mean they win the division in the event of a tie with the Dodgers. It means they get home field advantage if they end the season, the regular season, with the same record as the Dodgers. And, you know, two teams who have never met in the postseason while being these huge rivals, a one-game postseason playoff to determine who wins the division at Oracle Park, potentially setting the stage for a rematch following the wildcard game, assuming the winner of that contest is able to win the wildcard matchup they'd have with either the Cardinals, um, Reds, or Padres at this point. I, I mean, that could be a historic postseason, uh, a classic um in this rivalry, something that literally has never happened in a rivalry that spans back decades. But the Giants don't care about that history right now. They just want to win that division. They just want to set themselves up to win the World Series. And so let's look ahead to these matchups with Atlanta. Again, the Giants have continued to pitch with this three-man rotation, relying heavily on their bullpen, these bullpen games. But... They had Kevin Gaussman go today and lose, and, and you know, given how important he is to this rotation, even more so now, fairly disappointing outcome. But they got Logan Webb on the mound tomorrow, and he has been their the Giants' best starter for some time at this point. You know, Gaussman's numbers on the year rival Webb's, and you know, again, there's an argument to be made Gaussman's been better in aggregate than Webb, but over the last few months, it's not even close. Webb has been one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's pitched his way into the back end of the NL Cy Young conversation. Again, not that he's going to win the award, not that he's a favorite, probably even finish in the top three, but someone where you know it would be you know. Every voter should probably be considering Logan Webb or taking a look at his case. He'll be going up against Ian Anderson, another young starter over on the East Coast, and he's done very well as well. So it's going to be a really good matchup in the first game of the series. And then as we pull into the weekend, the Giants are up in the air because while Atlanta will have Charlie Morton on the hill, another solid uh, veteran starter, the Giants still have a to-be-determined in that Saturday spot because their hope is that after a long bout with COVID-19, some severe symptoms, they hope Alex Wood can make his return. We'll have to see on that, but again, given the state of the rotation, you know, the Giants have been very have done very well in these bullpen games. Again, the bullpen has done a commendable job even with their higher usage. But you don't want that to build up, especially if you get into the playoffs. You don't want to have your relievers having pitched a lot recently, or at least you don't want to overextend anyone, right? If, if a reliever goes down right now, while well, the Giants have the depth to probably deal with it, that's this is obviously the worst time something like that could happen. Getting Wood back into the mix, even if he isn't quite to the form he showed early in the year, just having a starter who can give them, if he could give them f- even four innings, five innings, That would be huge for a bullpen that is clearly taxed. And then on Sunday, um, with Max Freed going for Atlanta, 
The Giants will have Anthony DiSclefani on the hill, who's, you know, after a great start, been a bit more up and down recently, but had some good starts in there as well, only allowing one run in the first game of the series against the Padres and actually getting the win in the Giants' lone victory in, in the last three against San Diego. So this is going to be a big series, and it's got big matchups. Again, the Braves and Giants, you know, you could make an argument aren't throwing their three best starters either way, but throwing... Th- Potentially, assuming Wood takes them out on Sunday, throwing three very good starters up against one another. It's going to be three really big matchups. And again, one for the Giants that has huge implications because, again, the Dodgers only one game back. They've had an off day today, and then they head to Cincinnati tomorrow to start a three-game set against the Reds, who have been struggling mightily the last few days, but they are pushing that NL wildcard race. So, you know, the Dodgers won't have a cakewalk in Cincinnati, at least it shouldn't be, but, um, you know, Atlanta has clearly been the better team than Cincinnati. And more importantly for the Giants, part of the reason they probably feel like they can't lose any ground right now is after their series against Atlanta, which is a three-game set, they go down to San Diego for another three-game set against the Padres. On the flip side... Dodgers go to Colorado to play the Rockies then go to Arizona to play the Diamondbacks to two bottom feeders at this point in the National League West with the Diamondbacks being absolutely abysmal. The Giants do get another series with the Giants uh, with the excuse me Rockies and Diamondbacks before rounding out their schedule with one more look at the Padres while the Padres have the Padres well excuse me while the Dodgers will face the Padres and Brewers to close their season. But nonetheless, you know, these schedules for both teams are fairly difficult. Um, But one thing to keep in mind, while the Dodgers have the Brewers, you say, oh, that's a first-place team. Those are the last three games before the playoffs. The Brewers are leading the NL Central by a mile. They've almost assuredly clinched by then. So while you can look at the opposing records and say, oh, the Dodgers' schedule is pretty close to the Giants, you might want to look at that those last three games of the season with the Brewers. That's probably not going to be the Brewers' best lineup. That's probably not going to be the Brewers' best starters. They're going to be lining up their rotation and lineups for the postseason, most likely. So, um, you know, again, if you look at that and say, okay, the Brewers are really more like a middling team at that point, then after the play, they play the Reds, the Dodgers have the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, the Padres, and then uh, a, probably a B Brewers team. Um, not close, you know, in competition with the Giants are dealing with when it comes to against San Diego and San Diego twice and Atlanta in that mix. So we'll see how things play out, you know, over this next week. Again, this next three-game series into the weekend is going to be huge. Before we go, I want to highlight one thing in particular, because again, I started this pod talking a lot about the Giants. This continuous, you know, feeling as a fan, and this is what I've experienced watching this year again, being someone with fairly low expectations coming into the year, you know, it has felt like you're watching it and you're going, man, when is this going to fall apart? Okay, got it. They've had this good stretch. It's going to fall and this collapse. And, you know, I'd say for myself, it really until this month, really until that nine-game winning streak, and you, you can say, you know, I'm cautious with it, I realize this is the first point in the season where I'm watching these games and even if the Giants are behind, I have confidence they can come back. Even if they lose a game, I have confidence they'll be able to recover tomorrow. Um, 
And again, that doesn't mean the Giants are going to win the division. That doesn't mean even that they're going to make it out of the first round of the playoffs. You know, it's not out of the question that they could lose the division and lose a wild card game. And, you know, they could win 100 games in the regular season and only get one game in the playoffs. But, you know, it is just, again, I want to commend the team and talk about more. They have obviously clinched a spot in the postseason at this point. And just getting to that place with this roster where... Again, we, we've talked a lot. I've written a lot about the Giants, about how far Zaidi has approached this rebuild. Or, I should say, not even a rebuild. What, what me and many other people looking at it called a rebuild, and Zaidi really refused to. Um, well, again, I, you know, I don't want to go full-blown here. Zaidi said it wasn't a rebuild. He thought he could compete. To be fair, Zaidi also didn't, you know, he didn't spend very aggressively in free agency. He didn't go out and buy too often or, or make any moves to add significant talent. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go too far and say that Zaidi really bought into this team and invested all these resources. Like the fact is, what Zaidi has done, I wouldn't say is more impressive, but is it definitely more unique than anything I've seen in modern roster construction? Because what he did is he came into a situation where you had a bunch of aging veterans on bigger contracts that were considered underwater values that, you know, no team would want them just for their contract. And he didn't trade one of them, except Mark Melanson, I guess, but that was an expiring deal at that point. But he didn't trade any of them. He didn't make any big splashes in free agency. He didn't make any massive teardowns or sell moves of other pieces. He just slowly accumulated talent, tried to make it better, and he built a 100-win team. Um, you know, and, and again, that's a credit. Also, he brought in you know, player development, coaching staff that, that have obviously helped and supplement that growth. Again, this team, you know, the fact is, this roster, if you take away the pieces that were inherited by from the Bobby Evans and Brian Sabian regimes, well, this team isn't in the postseason, right? Like, as much as uh, credit does deserve, Zaidi does deserve a lot of credit for acquiring players, he deserves just as much credit for building an organization that could help the players who were already there either reach their ceilings or take another step like we've seen Steven Duggar and Logan Webb do this year. And with players like Posey and Belt and Crawford and Longoria, players reach something they haven't in a long time. So uh, a credit goes there. And I want to point to one stat um, that I, I found on Fangraphs over on their leaderboard, and, and and to you know maybe someone else has put this out there. I'm not. This isn't some again. This isn't my stat. This is just you know you flip around the leaderboards, you look at different things, and I wanted to look at of you know hitters in the league. Where did the Giants rank among you know older hitters? This is again. This is. Major League Baseball has, in many ways, it feels like, you know, become a young man's game. We've seen teams, you know, for, frankly, somewhat nefarious purposes, right? You know, tend away from older talent in part because they want to get younger players where they have team control, can keep them under contract for, you know, longer periods of time. You know, we, we, we can get all into that on a different podcast. And frankly, with the way the collective bargaining um, is likely going to shake out this offseason, very likely we will talk about that on the podcast, but nonetheless, for right now, I just want to talk about how as teams have tended younger and younger, the Giants have obviously not. They have one of the oldest teams, one of the oldest lineups, one of the oldest rosters in Major League Baseball. 
and I want to read to you the rankings of the top players by weighted runs created plus a stat um, from, uh, I'm not sure the orange, but you can check it out over at Fangraphs. It's normalized to essentially estimate how productive, how many runs does a hitter produce on average in each of their plate appearances. And they do this thing in statistics called normalization, which means whatever this number is, it's probably some weird, funky decimal point. They normalize it to a, to a percentile. So a 100 means the player generates league average runs. They're a league average producer at the plate as a hitter. Oh, 110 would mean they produce about 10 percentage points more runs than average per plate appearance. A 90 would be 10 percentage points below average per plate appearance. For players 33 and older, number one in the league, I should say 33 and older with at least 50 plate appearances, that's 64 players across the league. Number one is Darren Ruff. Number two is Brandon Belt. Number three is Evan Longoria. Number four is Buster Posey. Number five is Joey Votto. And number six is Brandon Crawford. Five of the best six hitters, 33 or older, especially in their mid-30s or later, are on the Giants. Only one of them was acquired since uh, Farhan Zaidi came to the Giants. Uh, rough obviously being the lone one. Belt, of course, has been in the system. Belt, Posey, and Crawford, of course, were drafted and developed way back in their three World Series runs at the beginning of the 2010s or even or in right before the 2010s in some cases. Nevin Longoria, of course, acquired in a trade prior to, I'm going to say the 2018 season. Let me double check, I think. But anyway, you know, before... Uh, yeah, right before the 2018, in the offseason before the 2018 season inherited. But again, these guys are having great years. So, you know, I just wanted to end on that note, talking about the Giants, veteran hitters, how they've stepped up and just, you know, celebrate. The Giants are in the postseason. And again, you know, I, I often, I think, get caught up, um, especially in these pod episodes. And again, I did it here today. And, you know, this is just my style. You know, if you're listening to the podcast, if you read my work over around the Foghorn, you're familiar you know I, I i try to keep things pragmatic i try to I, I always sort of take a more analytical approach and so i look at this giants team and i say what's the analysis i make i say they're playing great they've been incredible but you know the odds are that there's going to be some regression whether it's this season or next you know from at least some of the players um given how many are performing so well and how exceptional it is again as i mentioned you all say well how exceptional is it, mark remember the stat i just told you Five of the six best hitters in Major League Baseball, 33 and older, are in the Giants lineup. That's fantastic work by the Giants. Credit to those players, credit to the organization. But also, again, a sign this isn't something that most teams are doing. This isn't something that seems sustainable, at least in a, definitely not in a long-term fashion. Although, again, you never know. Zaidi's already proven us wrong before. But, you know, I, I wanted to take that bit to celebrate um, the impressiveness of, of this lineup and impressive work that uh, has happened in this organization, even if, uh, you know, the end of 2021 is still very much uncertain. The Giants sit here. This will go up on September 17th at 95 and 51. Fantastic record.
They've clinched a spot in the postseason. They are the only team up to this point, I believe, who have clinched a playoff spot. But the Dodgers are only one game back. They're facing off against the first-place team coming in from Atlanta over the weekend. And they have a chance, if they can pull off some victories, to maybe give themselves some breathing room or at least keep just ahead of the Dodgers. If not, they might fall behind and they'll have to play from behind late into September. Either way, the Giants will be in the playoffs and I can't wait to see how it turns out. As always, I am your host, Mark DeLuke. You can follow me on Twitter at MadDeLuke. That is M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. Check out Around the Foghorn for all the latest news and rumors. Now, the Giants, give us a follow on Facebook or give us a I think, yeah, give us a follow on Facebook. Give us a follow over on Twitter at Round the Foghorn. Um, And thank you very much. As always, stay safe. Have a wonderful week.